you have a Bible this morning, you'll find our text in Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel. That is amazing that one day we will. Imagine the likes of God letting the likes of us walk on his streets of gold. When I think of that, I say, wow. Old Billy Keller used to say he's a savior to be proud of. I say, amen, amen, amen. It's a joy to be here this morning, and we thank the Lord for the privilege to be here, and uh, do not take the invitation lightly. I remember a lot of your faces from Taylorsville. I get to look at you several mornings, and we thank the Lord for you coming up there to that meeting and uh, enjoying that good camp meeting with Brother Dagan Hart. I'm interested in Mark's gospel this morning in chapter number five. I have been meditating for several months on uh, Mark's gospel pictures. Uh, we, the great Greek word study, uh, said that Mark was a picture writer. I guess that's why I like his book so much, because it's a bunch of pictures. And uh, they do say that a picture's worth a thousand words. I have 16 grandchildren, and we spend a couple of weeks together during the year, and it's hard to tell much about them because they're running through. But when they send me pictures on my cell phone and I can take my little fingers and widen it out, man, I see things that I hadn't seen before about them. And it seems like Mark in his gospel just sends us a bunch of pictures and you can take your fingers and sort of widen them out and say, wow, I didn't see that before. We says that Mark tells every story that Matthew, Luke, and John told, except with this exception. Every one that they told, he added a nugget or two to the story that they did not include. Here's the crazy thing. He was there for none of them. He was an eyewitness to none of them. We says more than likely that Peter gave him an oral dissertation to all of these happenings. Peter, he was an eyewitness to them all. I had a lady some time ago probably give me the greatest compliment that anybody has ever given to me after service. She said, you put color to my black and white pictures. That's sort of what Mark does, puts color to our black and white pictures. I want to look at one of his pictures this morning in Mark chapter number five. 
it covers verses 25 down through verse 34. It is the gospel picture about God's propitiation. Propitiation. Don't let that word scare you. It's not a difficult word. The Old Testament, they offered an atonement. They covered their sin. Jesus did not, did not, did not cover my sin. Oh, no. First John tells us that he offered a propitiation for my sin. He expiated them, took them away. He absolved them. He placed them in a state of non-existent. They have never been done. I say hallelujah. Wow. That'd do some of you to shout. Huh? As you were stacking them. He has placed them. Hey, the person beside you won't even do that for you. Place them in a state that you never did it. You listening to me this morning? Propitiation. It is in this text that it speaks of the bloodline of the redeemed. This bloodline is a line that is inclusive while being exclusive. This bloodline included Abel while excluding Cain. This bloodline included Noah and his family while excluding, they believed around three billion people went to hell at one swipe because of this bloodline. This bloodline included Isaac while excluding Ishmael. This bloodline included Jacob while excluding Esau. I'm glad to report to you this morning this bloodline, unbelievable, included me. Wow. My sins are gone. We placed in a state of non existence and never were done. Notice this. Picture as we widen it out with our fingers. This lady in verses 25 through 34. I draw our attention first of all to the trial of this woman. She has a trying testimony. It says in verse 25, And a certain woman had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of the physician. I was interested in that little word, suffered. Intense, agonizing, unbelievable, uncontrollable pain. This lady has been in constant pain for 12 years. She says that she had been to many physicians had spent all that she had. Hey! Bankrupt. I thought it was interesting. You almost think God wrote the Bible. 
Every one of the miracles in chapter number five, these folks had reached a place of impossibility. No way that can happen. And yet, it happened. Here, Bible says her testimony is that she has a blood issue. Twelve years. The number twelve is the number of testimony. Her testimony is that she, this is awful deep, I don't know if you can get this or not. She's got bad blood. She got bad blood. I hate to bring this up to you this morning. You too have bad blood. My grandma lived with us all my growing up years. And uh, after we got married, she moved in with us. And if she'd see a kid that was a gangster, parents couldn't handle him, she'd always make this statement, got bad blood on I learned later, every one of us got bad blood in us. You got it from your daddy. Wicked nature. Let me have passed on. You got your daddy's blood. Bad blood. That's her testimony. It is blood that is cursed, depraved, damned. All it can do is produce dead and dying. That's all your blood can do. But boy, what his blood can do is amazing. If you leave this world and all you have is your blood, would you make yourself a note? I'm going to hail as good as where I'm sitting. But with his blood, it'd be impossible for you to go to hail. Life of the flesh is in the blood. No wonder Paul cried out. This is God's fair-haired boy wrote over half the New Testament. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? He literally was telling him, hey, I got bad blood in me. He said, I'm dead, I'm dying. Her trying testimony. But I notice there is a test, touching testimony. It says in verse number 27, and when she had heard of Jesus. I was interested in that little word heard. You know, Jesus, on eight different occasions. Of course, if the Bible says something once, it'd be very important. Twice, paramount important. Eight times, Christ, you can only figure that a hard-headed Baptist ain't listening. Eight times Jesus ended a sermon in the New Testament with these words. He that hath ears, let him hear. Wow. You know, you wonder, maybe there had been some kind of nuclear explosion in those days that had messed the water up, and most everybody was born with slick heads on the side that didn't have no ears. Because every sermon he preached, he'd end it like that. Well, he wasn't talking about these ears. He was talking about these ears. She, somewhere along the line, 
has had the ability to hear God speak to her. Seemed like I read somewhere, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I was wondering this morning, not being nosy, God forbid I stick my nose in your business. Can you look back in your life and remember a period of time when you first realized that God talked to you? You say, preacher, I don't, I, I don't think God's ever talked to me. Would you make yourself a note? I'm going to hell when this is over with. Because God always talks to his people. Always. You say, you mean to tell me you hear God talking in your ear? No, hear him up here. But I've heard him so loud down here, I thought I was hearing him up here. She heard. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press. This hearing has birthed inside her faith. And it has awakened in her a desire to press towards him. That's why I can't understand people say they're saved and they don't press towards him. Are you listening to me? I wouldn't take, I wouldn't give two cents for what you got. It's not causing you to press towards him. She's pressing towards him, trying to get closer to him. Matter of fact, uh, the scripture clearly tells us that she comes in. Uh, one of the other gospel writers says she comes from the rear. And she, she ain't going to face up with him. He's too holy. He's not the man upstairs. Oh, no. She thinks he's God Almighty. I'm going to come face to face with him. And the Bible says in verse 27, and she touched his garment. Other the Gospels tells us that she touched the hem of his garment. You remember that? She touched the hem. This is yes, this is no, this is I don't know. Yes, sir. Touched the hem of his garment. That's always the last thing you do on the garment. Pants. Him, last thing. Dress. You don't hear him to dress before you make it. Him to dress, last thing. So she is touching. This is awful deep. I don't know if you can even get this or not. You probably have to have a doctor's degree in theology to get this. She is touching the finished work of the garment. What is a hem of a garment? I understand. I don't know much about sewing. My wife knows a lot about sewing. Uh, I understand that the garment must be lifted up. Seems like to me I read somewhere where Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men unto myself. Once the garment has been lifted up, it must then be pierced. Take the needle and pierce the garment. Isn't it one of the Old Testament prophets that says when he comes, they will behold him whom they have pierced. But then... The garment must be threaded. 
Help me, you ladies that sew, because I'm dumb about this. If I was to be sewing this morning, pierce my garment with the needle, and I pull it, and all of a sudden, my thread is hanging down here. Can you tell me out loud, as loud as you possibly can, what I forgot to do? Thank you! I did not it! This bloodline has been knotted in eternity past around the darling Son of God. He has brought that needle down through time and he has pierced it through the redeemed of God. He has taken the other end and he has knotted it to himself in eternity future. It would be impossible for you to go to hell if that bloodline has ever been pierced through you. I love the hound out of that, don't you? This makes me get excited. She was in this bloodline. She has been knotted in eternity past and now knotted in eternity future. I was wondering this morning, you have any testimony? Of ever being nodded. Are you listening to me? I notice not only the trial of this woman. I notice the triumph of this woman. In verse number 32. Jesus says this about what she did. And he looked around about to see her who had done this. Wow. He calls what she did. Oh, that's the thing. You know, a lot of times we get real excited about what we did in salvation. Matter of fact, we make a big, oh, right over there with a brave prayer, made for decision for the Lord. He said, oh, that's the thing. Let me tell you about what I did. You listening to me this morning. I don't care what you did. It was just a thing. Matter of fact, I did something back there in 1968. But the older I get, the more I come to this conclusion. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Are you listening to me? He calls what she did a thing. It's not so much about her touch as it is what she touched. I notice in the text that it was a triumphant thing. The Bible tells us in verse number 29 that when she touched him, three days later, no, it doesn't say that in the living Bible. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up. The cursed blood, the bad blood was taken care of. Wow. And the Bible says that she felt 
in her body that she had been healed. I was interested in that little word felt. Knowledge experienced by a perceived impression or feeling. She said to herself, she said, I felt like this 12 years. She said, I'm whole. Woo. I guarantee you she didn't do this like some of you been doing this morning. You got excited. How come? She's been made whole. Verse 30. Jesus, man, immediately something happened to her and immediately something happened to him. Watch the text. Jesus immediately knows virtue has left him. Something inside of him has gone and got inside of her. And he's going to remain the same while she's being radically changed. Wow. His righteous power has left him and got inside of her while he remains as righteous as he has ever been. It's called Bible salvation. Verse 30, he makes the statement. He said, who touched me? Disciples, I, I, I can hear Peter right now laughing. We talked about we we in a crowd of people. They're all touching you. He said, "No." He said, "Somebody touched me for real. <laughs> Somebody just didn't bump into me. They meant business." He says, and he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. See what she had done wasn't as important as that finished work of Christ. That she had touched. It's a triumphant thing. And I noticed there was a triumphant truth. Verse 33. But when this woman fearing and trembling. Knowing what was done in her. Came and fell down before him. And told him all the truth. She is very concerned. That this could come back on her. And she's going to go to the source where she got this. And she's going to stand up at him and get right in his face. No! She fell on her face. Face in the dirt. My pastor back home was telling a story a few weeks ago. Old Testament Hebrew word for trust is to put the face in the dirt. Face in the dirt. She's getting as low as she possibly can. And she goes, this is awful deep. I don't even know if you can get this movie way over your head. She goes into repentance mode. She tells him, all. She just vomits it all up. All that has happened. I was thinking again this morning about this face in the dirt. Adrian Rogers that 
pastored there at Belleville in Memphis for so long, was instrumental in starting uh, Mid-America. When he was 18 years old, he went back to the football field where he had played high school ball, scored so many touchdowns there on that field. Went there one night and stood in the middle of the field on the 50-yard line. Lifted his hands in the air and cried out, Oh, God, use me for your glory. Well, Adrian Rogers said after he did that, nothing. Zero. He said, I didn't feel nothing. So he said, I thought I'd get on my knees. 50-yard line. Dark. Same thing, cried out with his hands up, oh, God, use me for your glory. Oh, Adrian Rogers said, nothing, didn't feel nothing. He said, I dug me out of place in the grass on the 50-yard line, dug a hole in the dirt, put my face in that hole, and cried out again. He said, God so filled me with the Holy Ghost when I did, he says, I never got over it. That's what she's doing. Face in the dirt. What's she telling him? Oh, she's just telling him thank you. Something has happened inside of her. I was thinking about old Alfred Hackley. Old Alfred lived in the late 1800s. He was a street preacher. He loved to preach in Hyde Park in England. He was over there preaching one day, and a heckler started heckling him. Ah, we don't want to hear about that dead Jew. Just on and on. Ah, he's still in the grave. We don't want to hear about that dead Jesus. After a while, old Alfred just was humiliated, closed his Bible, and went home. About midnight, he said, old Alfred Hackley went to the piano and in a few moments he wrote the words in the music, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. He lives. He lives. I know he lives. He lives within my heart. That's what this old girl's saying. She said, I don't know what happened. She said, but there's something has moved inside of me, and I can't get over it. I wonder this morning if that is true of you. I notice. Not only the testimony of this woman, the triumph of this woman, but I notice the title of this woman. My phone thinks I've fallen. <laughs> Won't call the ambulance. I don't feel like I've fallen. I feel like I'm standing up pretty good, don't you? Notice the title of this woman. Several places he addresses her in this text, and uh, he calls her woman, or she, or I don't know what to do with this one. Maybe that did it. Uh, 
verse 25. And somehow the devil can get in a phone and in a watch. He says, and a certain woman, again in verse 26, he calls her she. Uh, verse 27 and 28 and 29, he calls her her, she. Verse 32, he calls her her. Verse 33, he calls her woman. These are common terms. But once there has been this change uh, in her, the title changes. I don't know what to do with this thing here. I got it then. Verse 34, he calls her daughter. The thing changes. It's a term of a father for a child relationship. It's a term of endearment. It is a term that is often used in an adoption where one adopts another. You know, Paul says he's not given us the spirit of fear, but he has given us the spirit of adoption. How many of you believe this morning if you say that Jesus adopted you? This would be yes, good answer. Yes. If you believe that, you believe that Jesus picked you. That's what adoption is. I'll take that one. I'll take that one. I don't know about you. The only time I ever got picked growing up, they said, we'll take Gillum if you'll give us first bat. <laughs> the only time I ever got picked. I've been a fat boy all my life. And nobody wanted me on their team. And he come along. He knowed I couldn't bat. He says, I know I'll have to keep my eye on him from here to glory land. He's a mess. But I'll take that one. And because of that, Paul says, I can now call him Abba, Father. You remember reading that? Say that little word with me on the count of three. Say it out loud. One, two, three. Abba. Oh, you can do better than that. One, two, three. Abba. Let's try it one more time. But this time, watch your tongue when you say it. One, two, three. Abba. You notice what your tongue did? Nothing. Zero. Papa. Dada. I love that. Oh, he has endeared this gale with a relationship that now he is her papa. Oh, it is a title of travail. But I notice it is a title of tranquility. It says in verse 34, and he said unto her daughter, thy, thy faith hath made thee whole. He has given his faith to her. Now she has his faith. And it has made her whole, complete, needing no addition at all. Love what the old songwriter said, shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me. Now I'm no longer the same. He touched me, oh, he touched me. All oh, the joy that 
floods my soul. Something happened. That's what this old girl's saying. Something happened. Now I know. Touch me. Made me whole. I wonder this morning if you yourself possess something similar of what this old girl had. My sins, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sins, not in part, but the whole, are nailed to the cross. And I bear them no more. And because of that, I'm going to sit around the Baptist church like this. No! The songwriter says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, it is well with my soul. You can't sing that like this. No, you got to get happy to sing that. But you know this old girl don't have nothing on me. Oh, she don't have nothing on me. The old songwriter said, I hear the Savior say, My strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone. And change the leopard spots and melt the heart of stone. Nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. When before that throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died, my soul, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I heard an old preacher some time ago. Somebody asked him how he knowed he was saved. What would you say to that? You go into your little testimony, your little 12-year job, tell about this and that. Old man said, he says, I was saved about 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha's Hill. He said, when Jesus cried out, it is finished. He said, I was as saved then as much as I'll ever be saved. I love that, don't you? I was wondering this morning, just a deep, deep, deep theological question for the closing. Have you ever been nodded, preacher? 